Anyway, just turn to your neighbor quickly and say, did you like the hot weather? Did you like the hot weather? Okay. I definitely love this weather. This weather should be the weather all the time. Bring it, bring it. Okay, are we ready to get into the message today? I want to see Bibles. I want to see notepads. I want to see you just making sure you're going to write down what God's going to deposit in your spirits today right now. So today's message is called, Will You Pay the Price? Will you pay the price? And uh, this is an old expression. And to pay the price is a common phrase. Uh, used first, obviously, in the literal sense, like, you know, paying the price of a good or a service. But actually, I just wanted to break down some quick different ways that this phrase is actually used, because it's going to lead in to our message today. So... This phrase can be used maybe like when the price is high, the cost of something is high. So like if this is the quality of the good or the service that you will require, you'll have to pay the price. You know, it's costly. Or we can use this to experience the consequences of one's actions. Like, for example, I don't know if you can relate, like if you get caught, you students cheating in an exam, you'll have to pay the price. Or if you abuse your body now, you're going to have to pay the price when you're older. It's kind of like the opposite to reaping the reward. Instead, you'll be paying the price like a penalty for something, or you'll be suffering as a result of doing something you've done, like a mistake. For example, I'm really paying the price for all those late nights. Or he tricked me, I'm going to make him pay for it. But the juicy one for this question that is actually going to tie into today's scripture is it could mean to obtain one thing by sacrificing another more valuable one. For example, this quote, there is a price which is too great to pay for peace and that price can be put into one word. One cannot pay the price of self-respect. So you're sacrificing another for a more valuable one. Will you pay the price? And in some way, we all pay the price for our mistakes, and something always follows our actions, whether good or bad. So my question to all of you today, will you pay the price? You're probably being like, pay the price of what, Alex? Well, it can be a bit of a heavy question, but will you pay the price of giving up something for a greater reward? Will you pay the price to follow the call to follow Jesus? So my heart for you today is that as we unpack this question and look at scripture, that you will discover what this means for you, between you and your relationship with Jesus, and that you'll hear from him. So we're going to go into the scripture and we're going to read about the story of the rich man and Jesus in Matthew 19. Chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. So Matthew 19, 16 to 30. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Okay, hopefully you're all there. So Matthew 19, 16 to 30, and it says, 
Jesus counsels the rich young ruler. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. With God, things, uh, with God all things are possible. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who, can, who, can, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Praise God for scripture. Amen. And so this leads into my first point. I'm going to have three points, maybe a few extras, and then application, because I really love this Disciple Maker series where we're reading the word and get to apply it to our lives. And so the first point is sacrifice. So here we've just read in this story of a rich young ruler asking an interesting question to Jesus about gaining eternal life. By the way, we know he is rich, young, and we know he's a ruler because three of the Gospels tell us that this man was rich. Matthew tells us that he was young, and Luke tells us he was a ruler. So we already know from how he is presented to us that he is someone who seems to carry influence, someone who seems to have everything, and at a young age. And yet he asks this question that demonstrates that this man, like probably most of us people by nature, has an orientation towards earning eternal life. He wanted to know what good work or noble deed he needed to do to inherit eternal life and add on top of his already pretty good life. 
And as we read, Jesus says to keep the commandments. Now, there are 10 commandments, but actually, if we noticed, Jesus only lists six of them. And it's interesting because the six that he mentions all relate to relationship with others. To which the rich young ruler says, I've been keeping all of them, which is impressive. Because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be able to stand in front of Jesus and say that I've kept the commandments to the fullest sense. Um, but this is interesting because he's like, yeah, I've kept them. I've kept all of the commandments regarding how we should treat other people. Hmm. Well, at this point, Jesus gets past the surface level and he digs a little deeper and he challenges him saying, oh, great, you have? Okay, so why don't you sell all your possessions, give them to the poor and come follow me? And the rich man is like, uh, yeah, uh, Jesus, I don't think I can do that. And in a second... Jesus reveals two things about this rich young ruler. Number one, that he isn't actually living up to all of these commandments as he says he was. Because here we see him unwilling to sacrifice and give his possessions to the poor, not eager to fulfill the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. But we also see him violating the first of the Ten Commandments, which is, hopefully you will know, because we all know our Ten Commandments, hopefully, which is, you shall have no other God before me. That's found in Exodus 20, verse 3, by the way. Because you see, the young man's wealth was his God. Money was his God, his idol, and he would not give it up, and he was guilty of idolatry. So in a second, Jesus was like, oh, okay, great. Mm, not quite. So I have some questions for you. You can write these down as well, because these questions, I'm going to be giving you loads of questions. Just let them sit with you. Think about them in this week. Let the Holy Spirit do a deep work in you. What are the areas or things in your life that you need to sacrifice in order to be obedient to God's call on your life? What are the idols in your life that are limiting you to fully come and follow Jesus? Because even now, most of us in this room would say we're saved. However, there is a continual process of letting God's Holy Spirit to work in and through your life in each and every season. You see, it's matters of the heart. We need to be, like Celine was just saying, fully surrendered to Jesus in all areas. Jesus exposed this rich young man's weakness. And the thing is, Jesus knows, knew his heart and he knows our hearts. This young man's riches were clearly an obstacle to his discipleship. And as we are in our Disciple Maker series, what are the obstacles for your growth and discipleship with others? And this leads into my next point, idols. And we're going to touch on this for a little bit. Because if you've accepted Jesus into your life, then God needs to be the number one in your life. And the only personal thing we need to be worshipping is the Lord. 
Leviticus 26.1 tells us, do not make idols or set up an image or sacred stones for yourself and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, we live in a time when new age, especially amongst the younger generation, things like crystals, sacred stones, tarot cards, like these are unfortunately a real thing present in our time right now. However, it may be more subtle, non-physical idols that are in your life. Just ask yourself, is something above God in my life? Maybe you need to ask God to reveal to you the areas in your life where God is not actually God or first in your life. I've had to do this myself. And this can be tricky because sometimes we can sweep the sin of idolatry under the rug because some of this stuff has become so normalized in our culture today. Currently, I don't know about you, I don't know if you can relate to what I'm about to say, but it feels like culture's main job is to make us idolize a few of these things that I'm going to list off. Make us idolize people, make us idolize celebrities, make us idolize ourselves, make us idolize influences, your job, status, reputation, even make us idolize our future, our physical appearance, idolize addictions, our desires, our flesh. Even good things can become idols in our lives if we let them. For example, your spouses, sex, family, friends. Let me be clear, by the way, your spouse, your children are blessings from God, okay? The Bible is blatantly clear about that. And I'm not saying we need to rid ourselves of our families. They are important and they are your responsibility, but God is our priority. And sometimes we have the tendency to worship the gifts rather than the giver. So what about other things like sports, technology, this was a big one for me. I had to check my screen time and see how long I was spending on it. I was totally guilty of that being my idol. What about your identity? Young people who are growing up, always trying to find their identity on something else. Let's focus it on Jesus. Our identity needs to be Christ-centered, not self-centered. Find your identity in Christ and Christ alone. What about entertainment as an idol? I would say actually much of idol worship today centers around being entertained from Netflix, vacations, podcasts, TikTok. We're obsessed with being entertained. Now again, as many of these modern idols I've listed, it's not entertainment or these things that are necessarily bad, but it can be a good thing. But when it becomes, an, but when our lives, pardon me, become all about that, the search for entertainment or the chase of the next best experience, then it can become an idol. But we can enjoy our favorite things in moderation. Or well, one last one, what about comfort? Because the call that Jesus gives his followers is a life of calling, not primarily of comfort. Jesus says that his followers will face trials, persecution and difficulty. While comfort isn't bad, it can be damaging when it becomes the main pursuit in life. Look at this rich young man. When comfort is an idol, we will struggle when God calls us to something difficult. You see, 
to pay the price is to put aside everything that is apart from God, everything that replaces God, everything that is a substitute of God, everything that not, is not in agreement with God or that opposes God's best for our lives. In doing so, when we do this, we allow space for God to freely work in us. And I love what Jesus does here. So he deals with this man, this rich young ruler, very specifically. He's telling him to sell all his possessions. Why? Because it had his heart. And I say this because I don't think in this piece of text, it's suggesting that all believers should sell everything they own because we are responsible to care for our needs and the needs of our families so that we're not a burden on others. But what I do think this text is suggesting is that we should, however, be willing to give up anything if God asks us to do so. This attitude allows nothing to come between us and God and it keeps us from using our God-given wealth selfishly. Now, if you're here listening to the sound of my voice and you're relieved by the fact that maybe Christ did not call all his followers to sell all their possessions, then maybe you are too attached to what you have. <laughs> but God may be challenging you to give something for his kingdom that he still allows to someone else because everyone has different idols. However, if your idol is possessions or wealth, exactly like this rich young man, then I would suggest the best thing for you to do is spiritually just radically forsake materialism because it's gonna ruin you. We cannot love God with all our heart and yet keep our money to ourselves. Loving him totally means using our money in ways that please him. And here, as Celine already mentioned, we are in a season here at Zio where we are praying for financial provision because we recognize that we could do more good in the world by continuing to use resources such as money for the glory of God and the good of others. And you know what? In the Bible, there are plenty of wealthy, rich people in the Bible who use their wealth for God's kingdom, like Zacchaeus, like Joseph of Arimathea and Barnabas. These were all rich men who still were able to put God first, not their riches. And it's important to mention this because this leads into my next point, which is about salvation. You see, in this interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler, Jesus is showing compassion toward him who is misguided in his understanding. Jesus points out to him in his error and at the same time loves him. He deconstructs the misunderstanding and he calls him to come follow him. You see, salvation and eternal life, as Jesus pointed out, does not come from good deeds. This young man needed a whole new starting point which was that instead of adding another commandment to keep or a good deed to perform, this young man needed to submit humbly to the Lordship of Christ. Salvation is through grace, which is the unconditional love that God has for everyone. Salvation does not need to be earned. And Jesus uses in, in this story an impossible analogy of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Because what, what? What can you or I or a rich person do? Nothing. We can't do salvation. But Jesus explained that 
with God, everything is possible. Even people with wealth, you know, they may rely or even encourage the spirit of false independence. But don't be discouraged if you even know someone or maybe it's you yourself and you're thinking, how in the world will this person ever get saved? Like this analogy of the camel going through the needle. Because no matter who you are, whether you're rich or not, if you choose faith in Christ Jesus rather than in self or riches, this is what counts towards salvation. Scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And the good news is Jesus is pursuing everyone by his grace. So how can we apply this to our lives? So how can we apply this story to our lives? Well, we need to check our hearts. We need to find what are the things or the areas that are holding us back from truly and freely accepting the gift God has given us, which is salvation and the call to follow God. Right now, ask yourself, what am I attached to? What has my heart, my focus, my attention? What is replacing the position God should have in my life? If Jesus was here right now, and asked you to sacrifice something that's grabbed your heart's attention, would you give it up? I want to encourage you guys to spend time praying and asking yourself right now, what are the idols in your life currently? Ask yourself, where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? What's always on my mind? And why should we ask these questions? Well, because we love Jesus and we want to follow him. And we don't want to remain stagnant in our faith walk. And the challenge for us today is not to compartment, I can't say this word, compartmentalize Jesus or tick religious checklists like this rich young ruler. Our hearts need to be changed because there are so many other people who do not know Jesus yet. And Jesus right now is looking for radical discipleship, disciples of faithful following where our whole lives are given to him. By the way, we don't sacrifice these things of the world and follow Jesus for the rewards. No, Jesus is the prize. Even though Jesus says, he says in this story that there will be rewards in heaven. Even though he says to his disciples that if you do anything in my name, you will receive a hundredfold. Okay, great. Thank you, Jesus. But that's not what this is all about. The rewards are not why we do this. Jesus is our reward. We give, we serve God, we worship him, we adore him in the same way and greater than we would the ones who are closest to us, not for what we can gain, but what we, we give because we love them so much. And so quickly, what are even these rewards? I just want to quickly break down because maybe some of you are like, what are these hundredfold rewards? 
in addition, by the way, to eternal life. Well, a hundredfold is obviously not in the literal material sense, but it can be in the literal, true spiritual sense. For example, our rewards can be that unexplainable deep joy, that peace of conscience, the sense of God's love, contentment, a sound mind, or the daily wonders and miracles of God in your life. These are the rewards that Jesus is talking about. And lastly, I don't know if you noticed, the very last thing that Jesus said, Jesus ends with many who are first will be last and the last first. But just before that, Jesus says and promises that those who have sacrificed for his sake or for his kingdom will be rewarded. But then he says, that though they will be rewarded, it will be different than what man usually expects because we usually believe that the first will be first and the last will be last. But here we have our countercultural Jesus showing to our world that we will not be rewarded simply according to the apparent success or what we expect. And what's interesting is that even this rich young ruler with all his wealth, all his possessions, what happens? He walks away sad, sorrowful, it says in my translation. He chooses not to follow Jesus. And it shows me a few things. That the, rich, the riches and the wealth that he had provided nothing to his comfort. For he is sad and miserable with all that he possesses. And what are these things in comparison to the peace and mental rest that only Jesus can bring? For in Mark 8, 36, it says, For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Band, you can start to come up now because we're going to lead into our preach response. But just quickly, I wanted to draw our attention to what this rich young man asks. He says, what else do I lack? And that word lack suggests he knew something was missing from his life. He is searching like so many of us are here because we are searching. This young man had everything and yet we find him searching. And here he is standing right in front of Jesus. Literally, he's speaking to Jesus and he's missing the greatest opportunity to discover life and life in all its fullness. His decision to not sacrifice his riches and to not follow Jesus will be the price that he needs to pay in his life and eternal life. Will you pay the price? You see, all throughout the Bible, there is sacrifice. And there is this beautiful yet challenging scripture that Jesus says in John 15, I love this, it says in verse 12, my command is love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Wow, could you do something like this? Could you lay down your life for one's friend? You see, for disciple making, we need to be committed to the cause of knowing that there are people out there who don't know Jesus, who need to know Jesus. I'm not saying that we all need to die for someone, but are you willing to put the needs of someone else before you, their salvation before your comforts? 
This whole chapter, Jesus reveals to us that He loves us and all He wants for us is to be in relationship with Him wholeheartedly. He can see what has our hearts. He knows what has your heart. You may not know it yourself yet, but yet He gently reveals to us the areas where His Spirit can do a deep work in and through us. Jesus paid the price. My question to you, will you pay the price? Well, we know Jesus paid the price. He was willing to pay the price for our salvation. It was unconditional. The gospel is the good news that God in Christ paid the price of suffering so that we could have the prize of enjoying Him, enjoying Him forever. God paid the price of His Son to give us the prize of Himself. And I just want to end with these four powerful scriptures because I love scripture. And here it says, Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all the things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. John 3.16, many of you might know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But then here it goes to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that we, the world, might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, like this rich young ruler, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And the last one, 1 John 5, 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And so I pray that this message has challenged you. But right now, for anyone in the room here who wants to be saved, who wants Jesus, I encourage you to stand up right now because we're gonna pray for you. But also for anyone in this room who wants right now the Holy Spirit to reveal to them, to you, the areas in your life where you have idols that you don't even know about or that you need to know that you need to sacrifice something in order to be committed to the cause, I'd like you to stand up and we're gonna pray. Amen. And so Father God, I thank you so much, Jesus, that you came down and you gave yourself freely, your gift of salvation freely to us. We could do nothing to earn our salvation. We could do nothing, no good work, no good deeds. We thank you for the gift of salvation. And Jesus, I just pray right now that for every single one of us in this room, who we may not even know that we have idols or things that we need to sacrifice at the altar, that dear God, you will reveal it to us, that this week you will reveal in our spirits, you will clock it in our mind, you will drop it in our, in our just spirit. Ah, this is the thing that we need to get rid of. This is the thing that is an obstacle to our faith walk. This is the thing that is not allowing us to fully live the life that you are calling us to. 
Dear God, I pray for everyone who's hearing the sound of my voice that we will respond to the call to follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Let's stand up and sing this song together. Yes and amen. As we finish up our service. today but we are still going to be here just sensitive to the response of the Holy Spirit uh, as we're finishing just want to bless you and wish you a lovely week in the presence of God and may the Spirit of God continue to talk to us as he has talked this morning and may we continue to be open to him and so as well if someone has a particular prayer need we will be here for you as well 
but for the rest of you that uh, have to go and collect the kids uh, and we just wish you a lovely week Father God we want just to bless your people once they thank you Lord for you are the most important thing that we've got the most important gift Jesus is to have you so thank you Lord for your presence we are going out of this place but we are not going to be out of your presence so God fill us with your Holy Spirit throughout the week and use us to reach out to others in your name and for your glory and fame and thank you Holy Spirit in Jesus name Amen so God bless you just greet your brothers and sisters and if you need prayer we'll be here Amen